your expertise is always going to emerge from something you've already done. And so it's really more a function of saying no to many of the opportunities that are just in your lap and then leaving the last few that are that really make sense to tie your positioning to. Welcome to Elevate, a podcast about achievement, personal growth, and pushing limits in leadership and life. I'm Robert Glazer, and I chat with world-class performers who have committed to elevating their own life, pushing the limits of their capacity, and helping others to do the same. This episode was previously recorded and published on the Outperform podcast. My name is Bob Glazer, and I'm the founder and managing director of Acceleration Partners. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by David Baker. He's the author of five books and hundreds of articles. He's a business consultant, high-performance motorcycle racer, pilot, TEDx speaker, photographer, and all-around interesting guy. So uh, welcome, David. Thank you. It's really great to be here, Bob. I appreciate the invitation. Uh, excited to have you with us today. Um, so there's a lot I want to talk about, particularly uh, in, in your new book, which I really enjoyed reading. But um, before we get into that, I'd love to hear a little more. I was fascinated to read that you grew up in a tribe of Mayan Indians in a remote village in Guatemala. So how, how did that life experience unfold and how did that lead you to, to where you are today? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a little unbelievable. I almost have to go back to that village to even pinch myself to believe it happened. And I, I go back every couple of years and nothing's changed really. So my, my parents were met, well, they did medical missionary work as well as literacy work. And so when I was four, we left the U.S. and went to Costa Rica where they learned Spanish. I, I got dropped into a Spanish kindergarten. That's how I learned Spanish. And then when I was five, we went to live with this tribe of Indians. And um, the, the, it was called San Miguel Acatan. It was off the beaten path. There were no stores, no electricity, no running water. And I was there until I was 18. So we spoke the, the Mayan language and Spanish was the trade language. And that's where I grew up. I thought it was normal until I came to the U.S. and discovered that, oh, wow, it's quite different, especially talking with my friends. They thought I was like I'd been raised by wolves or something. <laughs> and so did that lead you to uh, later earning an advanced degree in ancient languages and theology? Yes. Yeah. Like, what are all those connections, right? Thank goodness most people aren't doing what they were trained for. That's given me some hope. But yes, I, I was headed down the same path and changed my mind about halfway through grad school, discovered that I would uh, really wouldn't be a good fit for that world and took a different direction, but decided to finish my degree. And um, it's just sort of a long path that's dropped me here. I've, I've often been intrigued by how people take advantage of some of the strange twists and turns their lives take. And my, my life has certainly been, been in that direction as well. Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, our experiences all really add up to the present. So, you know, in your book, you talked a little bit about um, running your marketing firm in Warsaw, Indiana, uh, in the 80s and 90s. C take me a little bit through that experience and, and, and how you got from there, uh, probably through a lot of learnings, to, to writing five books and, and really becoming an expert in the field of becoming an expert, I guess. So I started that that firm uh, back in, I guess it was 88, and didn't know what I was doing. I'd never worked at another agency, but I was just flipping through local ads and thought, how hard could this be? Plus, these ads seemed to not be all that impressive. And I thought, well, I understand marketing a little bit. 
I love language. I'll see what I can do here. It turned into, it was a six-year jaunt, essentially. It was not a remarkable firm in any way. It was a very pedestrian firm. We did uh, probably better than average work. I was uh, a worse than average manager. I made a lot of good decisions, some poor decisions. Uh, part of what got me through those six years was subscribing to a publication called Create a Business and the deal was that you could call up the editor and ask him any question that you wanted. There was no charge for it. It was just really his way to stay in touch with the marketplace. And so I took advantage of that. And eventually, because he didn't enjoy the financial performance metric side of things, he asked me if I would take a stab at writing some of those. And so I did. And as I continued to write more and more for the publication, I would help him with other things. One day I said to him, hey, why don't you do personalized advice for agency principals? He wasn't interested at all. He didn't want to travel and he didn't, there were some other reasons in his life that, that kept him from doing that, but he said, why don't you do it? And honestly, the idea had never occurred to me, but before I could even think about it, he said, hey, I'll put an ad in the publication for free and you just give me 10% of everything you make. And I thought, well, what, what's the worst that can happen? I didn't think anything would come of it, but agencies started calling. And so that took over my life very quickly over about a six, seven month period to the point where I discovered that I was really enjoying that more than being an agency. I don't know how many agencies there were at the time, but now they're like 45,000 in the US alone. And so instead of being one of 45,000, here I am one of about 20 advisors to my former peers, and that felt like a better place to be. So I just started to observe the patterns, which is what I wrote about in the fifth book, observe the patterns and start to turn them into intellectual property and help folks. So that was the beginning of my path towards expertise and then helping my clients be experts along the way. It was it was a long path, but a very one I'm really, really grateful for, the sort of opportunities that fell in my lap. So you, you were an affiliate marketer. That's what I heard in there. There was a, a <laughs> deal and some percentages. Uh, to, yeah, leave it to you to pull that out of any conversation, right? Well, <laughs> you know, there are, right. there are patterns in performance marketing that I think appear everywhere that people don't, don't yeah. incentivize. I mean, I am, in all of our relationships, I try to organize some sort of performance-based component so that uh, everyone does it's well. It's really interesting. Yeah, I never yeah. thought about that, but I guess you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just think that too many things are, are win-lose, particularly, you know, agency-client relationships and how can we make them more win-win. So at a high level, um, you know, and we'll dive a little more into the book, but wh why is it so important to specialize or be an expert in today's marketplace? I think it's more important now than it ever has been only because there's just so much knowledge around us. There is no way that I, for instance, could be an expert in all of the different things that are open to me uh, in terms of you know being able to explore as an expert. There are just so many options that I have to pick and choose because I simply can't be that deep in an area. I don't know if this is going to benefit mankind long term, but the fact is that information around us has been exploding like crazy. And so in order to be effective, I'm going to have to stake a claim and dig in and learn, just really know what I'm talking about. Uh, everybody, I know you have, I would imagine almost all of your your, your listeners have as well have experienced 
expertise of some kind. They've tasted competence, and once they've tasted it and compared it against lack of competence, they never want to go back to that. That's what drove me in those early days, and it's what drives me today, is to help people get to that point where they really experience competence. And I do think that the world is different now, and it requires us to stake a claim. Now, in our personal lives, we can be really broad and interesting and just suck lots of data in, pursue what interests us. But in terms of our careers, when people are paying us for expertise, we better really know what we're talking about. So it's interesting. My last guest and I were talking about Focus, another agency owner, and and you know this must be something you run into because one of the things we were joking about is that is that I, I constantly see agencies who have more service areas than people you know listed right. on their on their website. So what what is it particularly about marketing agencies that make them so you know unwilling to admit what they don't know or or, or want to be narrow and want to specialize? Uh, you know, this whole sort of agent of, uh, of record and you sell something and you pass it along. I mean, so you, this must be one of the core issues that you run into consulting these, these firms. Absolutely. Now, I will say that it's not as bad as it used to be. Um, agencies are much more likely to be willing to specialize now than in the past. But here's what drives it. Partly, and I don't have all the science behind this, but partly... Uh, creativity tends to draw people who love to pursue all kinds of things. And so it's, it's almost the antithesis, right, of, of creativity, to, which is what drives agency owners to be specialized. That's one thing. Another is that while they are in marketing, they help their clients with marketing issues, they are so terrible at doing marketing for themselves. And so they lunge at every opportunity that comes their way, whether it fits or not. They don't have enough opportunity to be able to choose from. If they say no, then they end up with people in the seats that don't have enough to do. They have this machine that's hungry that needs to be fed, and they don't have a marketing machine. So that's another reason. Um, yet another reason is just their love for growth. They 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 believe that growing, almost regardless of the consequences, is part of what if how is how we, it's part of how we define success in in the developed world. And so they're always um, uh, trying to attract opportunity rather than pushing it away. I, I feel like marketing should be more like whack-a-mole. Like when an opportunity pops up, kindly, respectfully, gently tap it on the head. And if it's real, it'll come back again, as opposed to like just dying to fly across the world and talk with somebody because there is this spark of opportunity there that we might be able to pursue. So those are all the reasons that contribute to it, but it's better than it used to be for sure. Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space, and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. 
Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate. Fast forward to the end of 2024 and think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. It's designed by real people for real conversations. I've tried Babbel. It's fun, it's interactive, and in just a few minutes a day, I could see that it was making a difference and helping my comprehension and retention. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com elevate. Get 55% off at babbel.com elevate, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash elevate. Rules and restrictions may apply. So you said something in your book, The Business of Expertise, that I thought was really interesting and really go against all of these growth-oriented individuals that, that you sort of describe. And you, you alluded to the fact that firms make, professional service firms make better decisions when demand exceeds supply rather than having all the supply and trying to fill it. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you discuss that with sort of owners and, and, and folks who are, who are running these agencies? Because I'm sure they fight you like hell on that. They do. Yeah, they do, for sure. I'm almost, uh, yeah, I feel like sometimes I need to suit up, take some of my motorcycle gear in before I start talking about this with them because I know I'm going to get, you know, um, get a lot of pushback. So here's the way it normally works. We were told by the society around us that we need to grow. If we aren't growing, we're dying, which I think is really nonsense. That's the first part. Second part is we don't have a positioning, and so most firms don't. And so we're going to attract as much opportunity as we can. So let's say then at that second stage that we are successful at attracting opportunity. Because we're in love with the idea of growth, we are going to, to build capacity to meet that opportunity. We're going to hire people so that we don't have to say no. Saying no is so painful. It's not even just psychologically painful. I think it's almost physically painful to shape your mouth in words that say no. We almost have to practice that in front of the mirror. So every time we meet more opportunity, we fall in love with it, we build our capacity to meet it. Now, what happens if there is a temporary dip in that opportunity? Well, now we have, um, we have these people who are capable of doing great work with nothing to do. Then we compromise by taking work from clients who are not a good fit, and we think we can turn them into great clients, and that doesn't typically work. So my suggestion there, to get back to your question, is to always size your firm at slightly less than the opportunity you have so that you can say no. Because unless you say no, 
your yes hardly ever means anything to the prospect. If you're always saying, yes, yes, I can do this. Yes, I'm qualified for this. Yes, we have the capacity to do this. Then they don't believe it really because you've never said no to them. There's just something about the confidence that comes from saying no that I wish that agency owners would experience more of. And is there a pricing functionality when you say no, or is this the whole club, you know, you want to be the club that won't have you? You want to get into the club that won't have you? Now, well, there is some of that. I mean, I really do mean they should say no and shouldn't let themselves get talked into something. Partly what's happening here is that they're they're letting the client base determine how big the firm should be. Now, in the face of it, how could we disagree with that, right? I mean, we're in... Well, we're not really in the service business, but that's we understand what that phrase means. We're we're in the business of meeting marketplace demand. What if the marketplace doesn't want, doesn't demand much from us? And what happens to our size? But I really think we have more control over that than we act. We can we I think you should decide, and I think this would resonate with you, given your attention in your career to leadership and management and culture. I think we should decide what kind of firm we are capable of running well, respectfully. And then we should size our firm appropriately and not let the marketplace let us be bigger than we're capable of running as a leader. Yeah, I mean, that that, right. Leaders have to improve. I mean, it takes a lot different skill set to run a $1 million firm than a $10 million firm. And you can, if you want to do that, you can get better. Uh, I, you know, I'd love to dig into this growth for growth sake because I agree there's too many and a lot of it's driven by venture capital, not in the services industry, but about, right. you know, just growing for growth sake. And, and however, I, I'd probably argue on the flip side, you know, you don't if, if you are the same year after year after year, then you're probably not innovating, particularly in professional services. You know, one of the things with our team is we look for hungry people who want to grow and learn. And we always say that growth, you know, opens up new opportunities to, to, you know, for, for associates to turn to managers and managers into directors. So, you know, what is that balance? Cause I, I agree that there's on one spectrum, there's growth for growth sake, but another spectrum, there are some great companies that may be the same size and the same thing year after year. But in general, if it's something is the same forever, it's not really world-class. I think I, there are clearly exceptions to that rule, but I would say, Generally, you know, there's something needs to be growing or changing or or improving, particularly in a in an industry that moves quickly. Hmm. Okay, we'll have to do a separate episode about that because I, <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't believe that, but I certainly understand your perspective, and, and I'm in the minority, so so the betters are going to go with your side, I'm sure. But so so you you don't you don't you don't believe that at all. The sort of uh, you think the small giants, or if you're if you're a ten person firm forever, but you're world class, then. Uh, you, you can be innovative and you, you don't need growth. Yes, I do. I okay. think you can charge a lot more. Got it. I think I also don't think that employees necessarily want to stay at the same firm for 15 years. And I'm not sure the firm is well served if they stay there for 15 right. years. Yeah. So your firm focuses on helping professional services firms, as we talked about. What What is what is the biggest mistake that you see them making? I mean, we talked about this at high levels, but tactically, what what is the thing that people just keep keep doing wrong and and making the mistake over and over again. One of them is positioning, which we've sort of beat to death. Another one is is solving is is what the the best thinkers on the team and I don't I don't think we can say the best thinkers are the highest paid or they've been there the longest or anything, but how the best thinkers on the team are spending their time. They are frequently 
solving individual client problems, which never stop. There's this steady stream of individual client problems. Rather than stopping, pausing anyway, maybe not stopping, but pausing and saying, okay, let's stop for just a second here and think about this problem that we're faced with. Is this a problem that a lot of clients are experiencing? If it is, then let's try to solve the bigger problem using this particular client opportunity as an excuse for that. That's the difference between being in the same business every year, year after year, versus innovating and starting to solve issues from an IP, intellectual property standpoint, and digging deeper and deeper and deeper and building systems. That's the kind of environment that I love to study and be a part of. And I think that's probably one of the biggest mistakes that they make Another big mistake would be just not watching performance indicators from a financial standpoint. They, they, they're not in business for the right reasons. They, it's more of a hobby or it's a job to them. They don't think about the fact that society really deserves your firm to be run well and return profit and pay employees well and be able to pay people t so that they can put their feet up and think. Those are the kinds of things that come to mind when you ask that question. Yeah, you know, a couple responses to that, you know, two things. I think that I like the quote that I think everyone's running two businesses. There's the business of the product and then there's the business of the business, right? And a lot of people aren't good at the business of the business. And it's actually a lot of those high growth professional service firms that if you're growing 30 or 40% and you don't pay attention to these financial metrics and you have clients paying you at 90 days and you're hiring employees, you end up being underwater from a cash flow standpoint, even though, you know, profit and revenue look look great. And, and I think we've seen that a lot where they're just really struggling to right. make ends meet, even though they're growing 30 or 40 percent. Right. You know, the, to your first comment, the, the, there's a book I have an idea for that's sort of a couple years away, but um, that goes through sort of the stages of, of change in, in a business as it grows. And I think what you were alluding to and what I've seen is that early on, a business really values firefighting a lot, and I think it rewards firefighting. And at some point, you need to transition your leaders from you know, giving all the rewards and accolades to people that come in to solve fires to those who are strategic and figure out how to prevent fires. Uh, mm. and, and we struggled with that, and I think a lot of businesses do. And, and in a lot of cases, I think those people didn't make it because it was very hard. As the organization said, hey, you know, we, we would... We don't want a utility player at every position that can jump in and play an inning. We want all-stars at each position, and we want clear accountability and responsibility. And they say, but, oh, I can, I can solve a lot of problems. And you say, well, we're, we're, we're in the predictability business now, not in the, in the solving problem business. I think that's a really hard cultural transition for an organization to make, and I've seen it happen around the 3 to $5 million in, in revenue level. Ah, that's really, really interesting. Like, it's almost, I was thinking, using your example, it's almost like the people who study a fire after it's been put out, and then they, they draft building codes, right, or fire codes. That That's interesting. You know, one thing that happens there, too, is that principals start to um, derive this learned significance, I call it, so that they become, they, they begin to feel valuable because of their ability to jump in and stop fires, fight fires. Yeah. And, and it's hard for them to make that transition because they're out of touch with the front lines and they don't understand what, you know, how to derive significance from their new way of thinking. Hi, everyone. If you're not a subscriber to Harvard Business Review, you're missing out on a wealth of leadership content. Widely acknowledged as the leader in business leadership information, Harvard Business Review provides information, tools, and practical advice on leadership, management, and strategy 
through the hbr.org website, their print publication, and their incredible podcasts. Premium subscribers can also access a selection of Harvard Business School real-world case studies and scenarios that provide business leaders with the learnings from how business leaders manage their business, their team, and themselves. When I need a source or data that I can trust for one of my articles, HBR is my go-to. Just this week, I referenced one of their articles about the efficacy of required diversity training, which had the most data behind it by far. While much of Harvard Business Review's content is available for free, after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at just $10 a month. Go to www.hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter promo code ELEVATE right now to take advantage of this great offer. Again, go to www.hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter promo code ELEVATE to learn more about this great opportunity to help manage your career and business. With everyone fighting for attention these days, how can you get your business to stand out and connect with customers? It's easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media postings, and even event management. You'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track your growth. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing that your emails are actually reaching your customers, thanks to their best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Constant Contact was actually the first email marketing platform I ever used almost 20 years ago, and it's a testament to the product's quality that it's still the standard for email marketing today. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Yeah, we follow the traction entrepreneurial operating system, which really sure. se- separates, you know, the founder from uh, the integrator. And we've seen a lot of success with that. I mean, we we, we joke around Matt, who's our integrator. You know, he's running the 2017 business. I'm focused on the 2018 business, and you know, it keeps the the church and state really really separate on on those issues. A lot of my clients are using that system uh, and and really benefiting from it as well. So what's the mistake that in, in your business or career that you've learned the most from? And oftentimes that's a repeated mistake uh, versus a specific uh, moment in time. Ah, I think, <clears throat> I think not understanding myself well, uh, trying to make promises to clients that I was ill-equipped to, um, to really deliver on. I think that would be one of the recurring mistakes that I've made. I think I've solved that more recently, but ah, it's not bad after 23 years, right? That was pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's one mistake, one that I have not solved yet at all, and I still I'm just plagued by this. Is my my skin is way too thin. I my feelings get hurt when they should not get hurt. When actually nobody had any intention of implying something that I read into their statement or their tone of voice. Uh, so, you know, I've, I'm looking for my third therapist. I've worn out the first two. Those are the, those are the, if you have a good one, you can let me know. 
But I, uh, those would be some pretty big mistakes that I think I've made. Um, and I've done some things really well, but <laughs> mainly because I made mistakes in a previous business and learned from those. Like I can't, I can remember so vividly some of the mistakes I made in prior, prior businesses that I've learned so much from them, so much more from those mistakes than I learned from the things I did well, I think. Oh, that's, that's totally the case. I, and I, I always encourage everyone to be in some sort of mentor mentee sandwich, you know, where they are learning from someone who's a little bit on the road ahead because they're really expensive lessons to learn. And then I think it feels really good to take those lessons. A lot of the ones that you've made and sort of coach someone who's, you know, uh, up and coming and help them save from making those same mistakes because it, it really is, it's all been done. Uh, it's about avoiding it and not, uh, not, not, making all those mistakes on your own dime. Absolutely. I, one of the people that I think building alliances with people that understand your business really well, which yeah. most people would consider competitors, but I don't. I consider them more collaborators. I think you know Blair Inns. Um, so he's been one for me. We, we're pretty honest with each other with open book relationship. And, uh, you know, I'll just pass something by him before I stick my foot in my mouth. And he's been really good at being honest with me. Over yeah, the years. In, in our industry, there's there's service firms and then there's platform firms. And the, the, the platform firms are really antagonistic <laughs> to each other. Uh, I, yeah. you know, I, I talk to my competitors, you know, regularly. We sort of compare notes. I, we generally all believe that there's just more pie to get around awareness. And I, I've always believed in talking to and developing relationships with competitors and that you have more to do by working with someone than, than you're really competing. A lot of times we're competing against people not doing anything or doing something in-house. Uh, so I, I have agreed with that as well. Yep. So can, can you give us some examples of companies that you think are really nailing the concept of identifying their expertise, whether it's names that we would know or folks that you coached and you know have really made a transition? Yeah, so that's a good question. I um, so there's a firm headquartered in New York and Denver uh, called DCI. Uh, their website is aboutdci.com. They they help um, market places as well as doing economic development work, and I think their positioning is just brilliant. I, I, I th there's no question what they do, who a good fit client is, and and so, you know, they're going to they're going to be able to answer that question very quickly. That's that's one example, I would say. Um, another one is newfangled.com in uh, North Carolina. They do um, basically business development ecosystems for agencies. So they know exactly what they're doing. They've got, I don't know, probably 100 clients that they're doing this for. So it's easy for them to recognize the patterns. Um, one that, that I think is um, really interesting, particularly because they're serving clients who are not usually a good fit for agencies. And so they have to go out of their way to make sure that the clients understand what it's going to be like, because these clients have not typically used an agency before. So they're going to be shocked at how much, how much time it takes and how much money it costs. So Big Buzz Inc. out of Denver is working with Dennis. Can you imagine? You know, if you think some of your clients are not qualified, imagine working with, with Dennis who have never used an agency before. So I love how they've just gently and kindly tried to educate um, clients that way, prospective clients. I think Hinge Marketing in D.C. is very well positioned. 
uh, particularly their library and content section. They provide all sorts of excellent free help to prospects. I could give you 100, but those are the ones that come to mind. And how can we as, as individuals or business leaders or firms, you know, what are some tactics or things you'd recommend to develop our expertise or figure it out what it is? Because I assume a lot of people maybe they don't know what it is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, usually, I mean, your expertise, not usually, your expertise is always going to emerge from something you've already done. And so it's really more a function of saying no to many of the opportunities that are just in your lap and, and then leaving the last few that are that really make sense to tie your positioning to. So you look, you don't look for new things. You look at your existing experience and then say no to the ones that don't fit as well as those. But Apart from that, that's more of a mechanical, I guess, um, suggestion. Apart from that, I think writing is the most important thing you can do. Uh, somebody said, I'm not sure who it was. It certainly wasn't me. I'm quoting them. But it was uh, like, I don't know what I believe until I write. <laughs> I write to figure out what I believe, right? And to me, it's like it's not, in my case, and I think this is the way a lot of authors would view it, it it's not like articul- you, you get clarity and then you articulate it. It's more that the clarity comes in the articulation. And so figuring that out, I give my clients this, this uh, exercise, I call it drop and give me 20. So pretend, so I'm talking, let's say you're the client and I'm, I'm David here. And I say, <clears throat> all right, Bob, I want you to pretend that I know a lot about marketing and pretend that I'm intelligent just for the sake of the exercise. <laughs> and now I want you to tell me 20 things about a possible focus. And I want to have aha moments at each one. They're not things I would already know because I know about marketing or already know because I'm smart. They're, I want aha moments. You come up with those things and you're going to slowly narrow down the options for yourself. That's, I think writing is the most important thing you can do. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help define the right professionals for your team faster and for free. Any candidate who's looking for a job is going to be on LinkedIn. And LinkedIn isn't just another job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals, and many like myself use it every day, which also makes it the best place to hire. LinkedIn gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. That's why 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free today at linkedin.com practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I assume passion plays into this, right? Is it, it's got to be hard to be an expert at something that you're not passionate about. It is, for sure. But a lot of people are passionate about things that they're not an expert in. And a lot of people, I definitely do, I do believe what you just said wholeheartedly. I do not believe that we should follow our passion and success will, will also come. I don't believe that at all. But I do believe you should be passionate about it. But there, you know, competence is, I'm passionate about competence too. I'm also passionate about the kinds of clients I work with. That's very important. I'm passionate about discovering new things and talking about them. Like there's no way I'm going to punish myself and choose a 
a focus that I'm not passionate about. But a lot of people get hung up on the passion idea because their their lack of focus is stemming from their passion for pursuing all these other things. And what I say to them is like, get a life outside of work. You, <laughs> your life outside of work ought to be so incredibly passionate that that you get mad when your work life impinges on your personal life. Don't demand all that passion from work. Passion should be tied to competence at work. So I don't know if that helps at all, but that's it, it, my mind. It does, and, I, and I'll tie the together for the last question, which is uh, in terms of your passion, you know, you do a lot outside of work. What, what, what parallels do you see between advising entrepreneurs and uh, high-performance motorcycle racing? Ah, uh, well, both of them can kill you. Maybe that's the... <laughs> <laughs> advising you can just go with that. That's a good answer. I don't even know. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's true. It can, one of them kills you slowly. One of them can kill you quickly. But I think that's the. <laughs> that's the. Those are the. They're, they're those are the high two. risk, high reward. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> that's very funny. So, so David, how can our listeners learn more about you? So the most recent book, which of the five books I've written, this is the one I'm most proud of, and the one I've really let myself go. It's the only one that doesn't look like a Wikipedia. Um, they can learn about that at expertise.is. That's probably the best place to start. Okay, great. Uh, well, David, thank you for taking uh, the time to join us today. Uh, you live quite a life and have some great thought leadership and expertise to share. Uh, I know we've discussed today probably barely scratches uh, the surface, so we may have to get you on again in the future. Um, and I'll say uh, to fellow entrepreneurs out there, um, I, you know, the book, The Business Expertise, it's really, it's a great read. It's also a beautiful book, really uh, high quality. Uh, and uh, I learned a lot from it. And it's, it's clearly a topic that you're, you're passionate about. So to our listeners, we'll be sure to include uh, links to David's book, uh, his business recourses website, and uh, other links to connect with him uh, after the podcast. And until next time, uh, thanks for listening and keep outperforming. Hello, Elevate Podcast listeners. I wanted to let you know about my friend Darius and his amazing show, The Greatness Machine. The Greatness Machine is one of the top-ranked educational and business podcasts in the country, recently ranking top five in the entrepreneurial category on iTunes. Here's why I love Darius and The Greatness Machine. It really comes down to a few things. The Greatness Machine has amazing guests from the likes of sports icon Gabby Reese, worldwide news sensation Amanda Knox, FBI hostage negotiator Chris Voss, and Tiny Habits expert and author BJ Fogg, to NHL Hall of Famer Chris Pronger, and hundreds more. Darius keeps it real. I always learn something new, and I have a few laughs. And he always also asks great questions, and is a really entertaining and engaging host. The Greatness Machine is where you get to be a fly on the wall and listen to Darius and his amazing group of guests talk about how they got to where they are today and hear stories of people who have lived their passions to create greatness in the world and doing so despite the odds. So if you want to be entertained while learning from some of the greatest and most accomplished people in the world, this is definitely a show for you to check out. Subscribe to The Greatness Machine today on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world 
and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.